Greetings, listeners. This is the Inciting Moment Podcast, and let me tell you something. I may not have been the biggest fan of this company's work, but Blizzard, as of recent, <laughs> has ruffled my motherfucking jimmies. Now, I, of course, am not a expert on such a thing, uh, but we do happen to have somebody in here uh, who is. Uh, but before we go about that, uh, for those who are just tuning in, uh, my name's Ian. Who else is with me here? Hello, I'm Sam, and I'm one of his Russell Jimmies. Hi, I'm James. I'm just here. I'm happy to be here. And I am the resident MMO expert, Scott. But of course. He, Scott, he did get his we are PhD. Just gonna... Indeed. Oh, you did? Congratulations. He did spend eight years in WoW, apparently, so... That's enough to get a doctorate. Hell yeah. That's it a was four, right Sam. Excuse me. I'm sorry, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but then by all means, please take it away, expert. Oh, no. What has Blizzard done now? So, Blizzard's done a lot. <laughs> um, this is true. The most recent thing that they've done is... So, there is two different World of Warcraft... Um, games there's world of warcraft retail which is the most updated which has the newest expansion shadowlands in it that came out a year ago i think i don't pay attention to it anymore um and burning and a world of warcraft classic and that is basically the vanilla world of warcraft so what it was like originally and players can play that if they want to play it um how it how wow originally was no expansions or anything, just pure, unadulterated World of Warcraft vanilla. Now, they, since Blizzard, I assume, has seen how popular WoW Classic has and the want for Burning Crusade, the first expansion, they've decided to come out with Burning Crusade Classic for World of Warcraft Classic. But they're going about it in such a way that it's terrible. <laughs> Um, so, with the release of Burning Crusade Classic, which releases in June, they are allowing you to keep your character from Classic to Burning Crusade for $35 to clone your character over to Burning Crusade. So, it is a separate character on both servers. Um... And with that, they are also releasing a deluxe edition that costs $69.99 that does not include the character clone. It includes a level boost, a hearthstone, which is basically a fast travel system, and a mount. And if I'm not mistaken, these are still subscription-based It is included well, with your right? World of Warcraft subscription. That's the only way you can play WoW Classic. I see. I should have prefaced that before, but I forgot. I'm sorry. That's all good. And so, oh, and it also comes with a Path of Ilden toy, a a 30 days of World of Warcraft game time, mm -hmm. and that is all included in the 69.99 um, uh, pay, basically. That's a lot of money, tag, if you will. Price tag, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I, uh... Yeah. <laughs> Words are hard, and I'm a little heated. 
Well, that that's what I was saying. Like, you're already paying monthly for this game, and now they're they're making you chill out. All I this mean, extra that's not stuff. like really. That's not really been something new. Like, there's always the collector's edition for an expansion. That's like the that comes with physical um, items as well. And I was gonna try to get the new Final Fantasy and Walker collector's edition, but that sold out while I was asleep. <laughs> oh lord, ah. that's how they get you. Um, it, but those always come with like a statue and like artwork that you can display. This is just in-game items that can easily just be obtained. Like a mount, you can easily just farm that, you know? It's not something that you should have to pay like $70 to get. I mean, granted, no. it is in WoW retail, but like, it literally, the model for it is so similar to so many other monsters in the game. It literally does not need to be part of this deluxe edition. Right. Next thing they're gonna do is add a battle pass to WoW. Oh, <laughs> I'll give him ideas. I don't play the game anymore. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm. I consider myself lucky. I never got into that. I spent four years in Same. this game, and classic was like one of the best things that I had participated in. But then they do this; it doesn't even make me want to go back to it. Right. I see. No, I mean, uh, even I looked at this, and I was like, "Wow, that." That's just shitty business practice. <laughs> it's also just the fact of, like... I mean, yeah, you could um, level a character with Burning Crusade. You don't have to pay for it. But that's, like, a long time to get into content that's been there 13 years ago. That, like, you honestly don't need to pay $35 to transfer your character in the first place. Because they didn't do that in the first place anyway. Yeah, I've never been a huge fan of MMOs and any of their practices really at all. I, it's, they never really grabbed me, you know? I get it. Yeah, no. No, I can it, agree. It's, I'm on your side there. It is a hard genre to get into. And I, I've been playing MMOs as long as I remember. I've played a lot of MMOs. But WoW held me for quite a time and it saddens me to see what they've become Oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad you escaped your abusive lover. <laughs> no, I I didn't escape. I uh I joined a wholesome MMO called Final Fantasy fourteen. <laughs> I heard a lot about how good Final Fantasy fourteen is, but I never haven't really given oh, a chance. Oh, it's so good. Do you know that it has a free yes. trial up to the sixtieth level with the first expansion? Do you know that Heaven's it Sword? is a up to <laughs> level sixty for the Heaven's Ward expansion pack with no cap on free time. Speaking of MMOs, have you guys heard about Raid Shadow Legends? No. <laughs> That's not no, an no, MMO. No, we are not sponsored. Not <laughs> sponsored. <laughs> game. It's funny how much of the like advertising memorizing. Uh, you know? <laughs> so yeah, that's our advertising money. Uh, yeah, where's it awesome. at? I, I I can already hear my check cashing in. I think it is worth uh, bringing up that uh, this, of course, in a way, another addition to the collection of uh, shitty Blizzard practices. Scott, do you happen oh, yes. to remember off the top of your head a couple of the other ones in recent year? Ah, uh, yes. I like supporting China. Look, yes. this is not a political screen stream. Please don't ban us. <laughs> I, I, I happen, I, I for one, welcome our new Chinese overlords. Please don't kill <laughs> the Japanese. Please don't kill me. Um, 
I guess a main part is like the fact that they had banned a Hearthstone player for um, standing up to the regime mm-hmm. of China and because uh. um, they were oppressing, um, I guess, people he knew and he just wasn't about that. And Blizzard banned him from Hearthstone because uh, they didn't want to anger one of their biggest markets. I feel like stuff like this for Blizzard, I feel like it's been on a kind of a downward, downward spiral since probably like Overwatch. Exactly, I, mean, I was going to lead into that. Their own little service. Well, when did Activision take them? Activision took over when uh, Overwatch came out. Good ah, Lord. well, there you go. Because <laughs> the thing about it is I just, ever since, I, I feel like there was this, this turning point in gaming when there was this heavy prevalence of these free-to-play games, but you bought like, little packets of whatever little packets of jewels or whatever the the gimmick the game the had box. and yeah and I, I feel like these other gaming companies saw this and like fuck yeah we should put this in our games oh if blizzard does already... it and they make money why don't we yeah and the problem is it would be one thing if it was just free-to-play games which is always already a bad thing on its on its own but with game companies doing it for stuff you already pay for, it's almost just kind of disgusting. It's Ubisoft. It's capitalism made. I, I I'm no Marxist, you know. I'm not. Uh, I ain't no communist. But I mean, this is this is apex capitalism, baby. This is. Oh, hey, how do we squeeze more money out of these fuckers? Pardon my French. And like most of it's not even aesthetic. Like in Assassin's Creed, I think the last two of them, Odyssey and Valhalla. They're full $60 games or $70 games, depending on what console you bought it on. Um, PS5, Xbox Series X is $70. Um, PS4, PC, and Xbox One are $60. Um, they, they have microtransactions, and you would be like, oh, well, maybe it's just, like, aesthetics, like costumes, or, like... In Valhalla's case, there are tattoos you can put on your character. But no, they have literal, like, time savers for $30 that you can get, like, bonus XP, more money, more materials to basically boost you through the game. And I think in Odyssey, it was really difficult to progress about midway through the game. So Ubisoft is like, hey, we have these time savers that will really help you in the game. You should try them. So it was really scummy in Odyssey that basically they stretched this, like, 50-hour game to, like, 70 if you didn't buy their Time Saver packs. Lovely. Yeah. Disgusting. Basically, you're basically paying upwards of $100 for a $60 game that is basically skyrocketed to, like, $100. And depending on if you bought the Season Pass, $150, because that's $50 by itself. So you're literally paying $150 for a AAA experience for, like, the best experience possible when you shouldn't even need to do that in the first place. My understanding is if you if you buy a $60 game, you should at least get $60 worth of content out of it. But, like, with an MMO, you pay unfair. the base $20, I think, Final Fantasy fourteen is, and you are, where I'm at, 270 hours. So I've literally have over three times the amount of money I, I got back. So, yeah, uh, I love the video game industry. It's great. 
Oh yeah, it's almost like a a, a very uh, strongly worded parent uh, barges into a room, and you got Blizzard and Nintendo sitting in the same room, and this parent just says, "Which one of you has been taking a nasty shit on all the players? It was fucking one of yours. Disgusting." Probably Nintendo as of March. <laughs> Look, let's be Probably. honest. Nintendo is its own beast. We've already covered Nintendo's shitty practices. I want to cover Blizzard's. <laughs> I mean, they're getting there in terms of rivaling them. Nah, Blizzard's shame, the really. OG. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even touched on Activision. It's 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 really a choice between your Japanese overlords or your Chinese, and I'm leading towards Japanese. It's not even like I got a because like Japanese. China. It's Activision Blizzard now, so it's like American and Chinese overlords. Mm -hmm. Oh lord. I can't I, I can't even begin to cover what Activision has done to the Call of Duty fan base. Oh it's man. all, you know, corporate meddling yeah. and whatnot. Oh no, yeah, it is. Brands have such power now uh, and yes. it's all crazy. Can I buy Call of Duty Black Ops 2 for lower than sixty dollars? Ah, you have two days a year to try it. <laughs> wow. Black Ops 2 is still sixty dollars on Steam, eight a near ten year old game as of this year. It is still $60 on Steam. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Money. But on Humble Bundle, it's like 20 bucks. So, you know. Don't know <laughs> well, there that. we go. It's and all your money goes to charity give away our Humble secrets. Bundle. So, you know. Good Don't cause. give away our secrets. Why? <laughs> Speaking of making money, uh, I guess... Uh, desperation is on the all-time high or either it's desperation or uh at the core of it perhaps a actually passionate idea we'll have to figure out until it comes out but uh apparently there's a cheetos movie yeah Chester yes you cheetos. want to talk about brands blowing up oh great it's, it's a cringe <laughs> stream indeed mr cheetos my dad Mm-hmm. There's a Cheetos movie uh, that uh, everyone clearly asked for. Uh, or maybe it's the masterpiece that nobody asked for, and they don't know a good thing until they see it. Yeah, apparently the, I, I saw this come up in some, uh, some news as of recent, and uh, the article that I stumbled upon talking about this was actually talking about how the screenwriter for the unnamed... Uh, cheetos movie or at least from what i'm seeing unnamed cheetos movie is that uh they were defending richard montanez hopefully i didn't butcher that who is supposed inventor of the flaming hot cheetos uh during his time at uh the frito-lay company and for a while uh the story behind this is Richard had been claiming for years to be the uh, mad lad who came up with the idea of, oh, hey, check it. It's Cheetos, but it's spicy. You feel me? And I guess somebody out there must have found his, uh, his tale at the company compelling enough because we're getting a historical drama i think that's what you would call it it's not a biopic it's like a biopic it is. 
Uh, you know what? Actually, now think about it, because it's about a specific person's, you know, biography. Yeah, I think it would be a biopic. Um, yeah. But regardless of what you call it, the screenwriter is uh, saying enough of the story is true. And uh, enough that's of the story is true. Enough of the story is true. What does that mean? Is that the tagline? I, I don't know, because apparently uh, for a while it was uh, constantly debated whether or not uh, Richard, uh, Mr. Montanez, uh, Dick Montanez, if you will. Right, brother of Tony Montana. Mm -hmm. But of course. Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not he was actually the man responsible for Flamin' Hot Cheetos. And uh, Frito-Lay for a while had been saying, uh, no, he's not. Uh, but he has been combating that, and, uh, apparently this movie, because of, uh, you know, literally trying to depict the creation of such a snack food, um, it's kind of come under fire, uh, by officials from the Frito-Lay company, and, uh, it's just funny how, uh, of all things, it's, it's, over Cheetos. But then again, I mean, Flamin' Hot Cheetos kind of slap. I mean, it's a big name, surely. That's one of their, oh, yeah. their bigger sellers. And uh, this is the perfect chance to launch a cinematic universe. I mean, you've got the Flamin' Hot story, right? Then you go to the Puffed. And eventually, <laughs> we bring them all together with Cheetos, the original. But of course... And was the, was was the Avenger movie going to be, be be the Munchies? <laughs> Where's my uh, rom com with Chester Cheeto? Who who's he with? Tony the Tiger, obviously. Oh, obviously, I don't think the of world's course. ready. I mean, I I know you know LBG LBGTQRS PS two is the rage right now, but good God. <laughs> Yeah, it's all about that representation. I mean, if they get all of them in there, that, that'd be great. The true Avengers of snacks we all wanted. I don't really mm -hmm. have an opinion. I never really liked biopics, to be quite honest with you. It's mm -hmm. a weird concept. And, you know, it could work. It could be interesting, but... Do you have any exceptions that you've come across? Or are you still looking for one? Uh, I'm trying to remember last time I watched it, like any kind of biopic at all. Oh, uh, that's true. Nothing I could think of, honestly. There's, there's never a genre I really liked, you know? It kind of sounds like they're going for the social network of snack foods here. God help I us. Guess. God fucking help us. But I guess we'll have to wait to see if uh, the tale of the Cheetos uh, escapade is a compelling tale. But you want to talk compelling tales, let me tell you something. There is a particular tale that I happened to see recently. Uh, not at any other uh, normal theater, no. I went to one of the few remaining Egyptian theaters, which uh, back in the day was a, uh, a chain of different um, outlets for films and a lot of that stuff. You went all the way to Cairo? <laughs> no i went thankfully. to egyptian theater once there wasn't a single egyptian in there look like, oh, james well, i'm a college graduate a i don't have the money to go to cairo now that's some false advertising if i've ever seen one mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> disgusting 
corporate meddling, always promising you one thing, giving you another. Well, mm. I mean, why do you think there's only a few locations left? Not enough Egyptians? Maybe. That or gods of Egypt put them out of business, I don't know. Oh, I'll have to figure right. that one out after digging I digress, in. you were making a point, please continue. Yes, yes. Um, the Egyptian theater uh, that I went to uh, specializes in a particular kind of theater-going experience. That experience being that rather than being the usual uh, projector type that you see nowadays, that being a fully digital one, this was a 35-millimeter-based film projection theater. And in said theater, I saw a uh, small kind of under-the-radar film called The Sound of Music. It was goddamn magical, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I, uh, I enjoyed my time seeing it. Um, the print itself, looking at it on the actual projection screen, it looked like uh, whoever had been responsible for hanging on to it. It might have been a collection of people, I don't know. It had been given a lot of love and a lot of care because it was in pretty good condition there really weren't any like uh, bits of dust or scratches like uh, it's usually on most uh, really old film prints and what's interesting is <clears throat> this wasn't just like a like a duplicated print or like a a remastered print that came out years later no this this was a original 1960s film print that had been preserved for so long it still looks just as vibrant and colorful as when it first came out um i went there with my dad he also thoroughly enjoyed it given that uh over the years he had uh seen the sound of music on tv vhs stuff like that but being able to see it on 35 millimeter which when you are able to see movies in that form uh it's awesome yeah i think i saw uh when joker came out we actually went down to a theater and saw it in 35 yeah because that one was on film and that was pretty solid uh was this the first time you've seen sound of music i personally have not this uh, was both film. the first time that i had seen the sound of music and a film in 35 millimeter i mean what's what's the benefits of it being in 35 millimeter to you uh well to me uh first off the texture of the actual footage um well for lack of a better term uh it, it feels textured uh oftentimes when it comes to digital masters that are shown in theaters nowadays which has kind of been the case ever since the early 2000s and i think late 90s could be wrong Digital masters kind of uh, take away that sense of texture and also detail and uh, whatnot, because essentially you're, you're taking a, a physical medium like film, uh, digitizing it, and then also playing it on a purely digital projector. And when you're actually seeing it from the actual film print itself, uh, it's often night and day in terms of uh, detail and just the look of it all. The visual contrast oftentimes uh, is, is much better, too. The separation between the darkest parts of the image and the brightest parts uh, is much more noticeable. And 
oftentimes, it's just the charm of it, too. Really, being able to see it like that, because uh, you gotta remember that uh, 35 millimeter for a while was <laughs> how most people saw it, and when you're able to view it in that old of a format, it, it just feels more... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna potentially sound a little pretentious like this. It just feels more cinematic, if you will. I could be here all day explaining like the uh, ups and downs benefits, but also downsides of 35mm, but it really does come down to the fact that it it is kind of harkening back to um, classic cinema. And of course, as I mentioned, just the level of detail and texture, it's, it's very noticeable. And uh, depending on the film, especially like a film like Joker, because that had really good cinematography... Um, oh yeah, it just makes the experience a hell of a lot better. How was uh, I? I imagine this was probably your first time going to a theater in a while. Yeah, yeah, the theater wasn't uh, wasn't packed, and I mean, I, I kind of figured that would be the case uh, because when I think of uh, what movies people are flocking at the masses to go and see. Sound of Music is not one of them, I imagine, <laughs> for a lot of uh, youngins nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the audience were uh, older citizens, but I mean, I can understand that. It's probably a film that a lot of them saw back in the day and being able to see it again. Uh, I assume in the same level of quality because... Uh, I've I've brought up this uh, this color process before, but it was a Technicolor print. One of the upsides to having a Technicolor print is that as long as you store it properly, it never fades, or at the very least, it doesn't fade enough that uh, it's noticeable. Damn, I I am curious. What is the oldest print that is preserved? I wonder. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Sound of Music is definitely up there, uh, and I think Sound of Music was the film that popularized uh, the process, because one of the biggest problems was that not many movies at the time were doing it, because it was just such an expensive process, and so oftentimes people would pass it up in terms of, you know, working that into the production of the film, because they just weren't certain if, you know, it was worth, you know, risking the budget on it for something that uh, takes a lot more time to process. Oh, I can imagine. Any older equipment takes a lot to uh, maintain. Mm-hmm. The oldest preserved film is the Round Hay Garden scene in filmed on October 14th, 1888. Holy crap. It is oh, 1.66 seconds long. Huh. Was that just a like is that all they they filmed or That's probably is that all they the had only thing they could maintain because that is the oldest living film print. Holy I shit. see. Okay. Well, shit. There you go. The more you know. Ah, and then the oldest known Technicolor film is The Toll of the Sea, uh, which oh. came out in November 26th, 1922. So that also gives you an idea of 
how old the actual Technicolor process was. And I mean, uh, Technicolor, at one point, they they uh, shifted from uh, being a camera-based uh, color process, which was, oh god, all kinds of finicky, because the original Technicolor cameras, um, they had uh, different strands of film that would be captured at once one would be one color and then the other ones that were inside the camera which would sometimes be two or three depending on what year it was uh they would capture film in two or three different uh shades of color and then you would have to take all three of those and essentially combine them together and uh eventually they realized uh you know <laughs> this is actually kind of finicky. Why why don't we come up with like a a separate dyeing process to kind of simplify things and uh, that's what they did. And I believe let's see here. Ah, yes. Uh one of the last films to be preserved in the Technicolor dyeing process, not the camera process, was uh a a film called uh, Star Wars. Okay, really really like to talk about this this small indie film a lot yeah you know it's 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 got some charm to it i don't understand never heard of it nah uh, well i mean you just kind of have to watch it to to understand it one of these days yeah yeah well uh speaking of movies uh scott you and i actually happened to watch a recent endeavor from a uh, well-known indie uh, director who, uh, last couple years, you know, kind of getting there in terms of exposure. James Cameron. Yes, James Cameron. James Cameron. Only been in the business for a few years. Uh, yeah, like no, but the one that we're talking about is uh, a wee lad, but also a mad lad, because he's got some vision to him. Zack Snyder, in his uh, recent film endeavor known as army of the dead exclusive to netflix which is either the death ring of a movie or something you like right away it's there's no in between yeah, yeah. i uh, yeah. i've heard about this but i haven't actually seen it since you two have why don't you give us the the pitch yeah so essentially army of the dead is uh another zombie film that uh, is very different from most other ones because whereas most zombie films either take place during the outbreak of a nationwide or possibly worldwide uh, zombie breakout, uh, the zombie breakout, people in the U.S. are actually able to contain it within uh, Las Vegas exclusively <laughs> to the point oh, where... Oh, yeah. uh, and And I, I was starting to question whether this was intentionally done because of the uh times or if this was more or less just coincidence through having different quarantine centers of uh, civilians who had been within the las vegas area around the outbreak and as such they are being monitored and all that and in the midst there are corrupt cops that are being a bunch of dinguses to some of these people things kick off Dave Batista, one of the survivors of the outbreak that was able to escape before the entire city was closed off, is approached by uh, Mr. Richman, who needs his collection of uh, cash taken out of a vault 
within Las Vegas before uh, the United States uh, nukes the place in order to contain oh. the outbreak. <laughs> it's a very United States thing to do, of course. It, yeah, yeah. So essentially, you have this team of people that need to work together and go into Las Vegas and essentially turn the movie into a uh, zombie heist film okay. with a little bit of, uh, believe it or not, like, I want to say Lord of the Rings? Oddly okay, enough? Okay, you're going to do a lot. You're going to do a lot of explanation. <laughs> you, you had me at zombie heist film, and then you brought uh, swords and hobbits are, into are we it. Expecting so I, I need to, to connect the dots down. here. Well, uh, to put it simply, um, I want to say this film kind of takes a couple cues from uh, I Am Legend in the fact that uh, these zombies, they aren't brain dead. Uh, a lot of them are actually rather perceptive and smart, so much so to the point that uh, while they are in Las Vegas, they have actually essentially established a pseudo-monarchy <laughs> with a king and queen uh, leading them. Good lord. It, it, it feels very uh, medieval-esque, and uh, some of the wardrobe oh. choices definitely makes it seem like, uh, especially later in the film, when uh, the, the uh, pseudo-king armors up for uh, the climax of the film, straight up looks like an orakai out of uh, Lord of the Rings. Ah, uh, looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. But of course, is that, is that what that scene with like the the zombie with like the the metal bikini, yeah. like I, I yeah. saw a gif of that earlier. That's what that's from. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we got the basic gist, I mean, does it work? Oh, I loved it. It. Like an... it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it is then. one of those films where uh, it's a it's it's a ride. It's a ride. It didn't feel like uh because it's one of those like what are we some kind of suicide squad kind of films where you have a team of people working together and each one has their different specialization and uh i was actually pretty impressed for the most part that uh each one never felt like they were uh useless each one felt like they contributed to the overall team Except for the ones that are assholes that uh, either make stupid decisions or set other people up for failure and therefore get them killed. In awesome. glorious ways. Uh, yeah, that's the I other thing. I want to talk about if, that tiger. If, if you like yourself a, a good zombie flick that has a share of gore and just overall violence, hell yeah. <laughs> you get it here. So wait, there, there's zombies, medieval hierarchies, and tigers? Yeah. Yes. Zombie tigers. Zombie tigers? Yeah, zombie tigers. Zombie tigers, okay. That's I was going to say, all thing. these things are in Walking Dead, but zombie tigers, that's a different story. Hell yeah. Uh, zombie <laughs> horse, too. Didn't? Oh, well, Zach... now you're just spoiling me. <laughs> didn't Zacky Zack, didn't he do another zombie movie? Didn't he remake Day of the Dead? Yes. Uh, oh, did Dawn of the Dead, yeah. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, that's it. Yeah, that's crazy. That was his yeah. first movie. Wow, that's really crazy. He's going back to his roots. 
zombie oh, movies. Yeah. Netflix is Netflix was basically just like, hey Zach, do whatever you want. <laughs> hey, if it works, it works. Any and it really does it? work. It's so good. <laughs> I yeah. loved it. I might watch it again this week. Man, so I'm guessing you guys would recommend it? I would. Uh, I certainly would. I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I would say that uh, at least one time through, it's <laughs> it's a trip. I like zombie movies, go. so I really like this one. How, how would you say it compares to some of his other works? Uh, this is one of the best in recent years. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, it's a combination of not doing too outlandish stuff. Um, it is, for the most part, pretty simple and straightforward but it's it's mainly in the character work and additional story details or or rather um the zombie lore i guess if you could call it that that you know kind of makes it stand out and i mean it's it's essentially a zombie heist film i from the top of my head can't even think of a single zombie flick that comes close to that it's certainly a concept. Oh, yeah. And I mean, uh, I, I thought the premise of it was done decently well. Because when you have those heist films, um, you either have two things happen in them. The plan goes awry because they overlooked something that they didn't take into account earlier. Or someone on the team fucks over the rest of the people and they have to figure out how to uh, get his comeuppance, but also still survive yeah yeah survive and also get what they uh went in for uh but when it uh, comes to comparing this to his previous work i don't know i i was kind of surprised because um zach much like in his other stuff very visual dude i thought the cinematography mm -hmm. overall was pretty solid which is a constant that i have with uh zach snyder films Mm -hmm. But when it comes okay. to, like, his other stylistic stuff, or rather his shortcomings, it feels like he recognized what didn't work in his previous films and what did, and he, you know, made this film with that in mind, uh, because it feels like a lot of the stuff that I sometimes harp on Zack for it isn't here it doesn't feel miserable i was actually kind of <laughs> i was kind of impressed with uh how much uh humor made it in uh without it becoming a little too overbearing and goofy i thought uh when it came up it was uh acceptable and it fit in okay overall. well that's good yeah like i'm not gonna lie if zach kind of continues kind of doing what he was doing in this one maybe not always doing zombies but you know i i won't be opposed to it i don't know i'm kind of turning around on uh zach i mean here's the thing watching this movie is not going to change my thoughts on like man of steel or bvs or make 300 any more than what it was but you know i feel like with this movie he's slowly but surely growing and improving and i think that's great knowing what he's had to put up with in uh recent mm -hmm. years 
So Very yeah, good, good for him. Army man. of the Dead, pretty solid. I recommend it, and uh, it was a fun time, guaranteed. Speaking of recommendations of movies, uh, Sam, I believe you requested the uh, the last movie that we are going to be cons- discussing today. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Do you want to tell us about this? Hell no, yeah. I may be I may be a little bit biased, just a little. When I say objectively, it's one of the best movies ever, but that's just, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, obviously, it's already out there. I I fucking love this movie. <laughs> this was one of the films you set, like stated when you're like, this is what I look for in films. It's, it's pure, unfiltered, unadulterated movie perfection. Well, for those who have been living under a rock, Sam, do you mind telling us what this film is about? It's in the title, baby. It's about tornadoes. (laughs) Nice. Um, The the basic premise is the main character, Bill, used to be a a, uh, tornado chaser. And the premise is he divorced his ex-wife, a chick named Joe, and he comes back to her saying, basically, hey, I want to sign these divorce papers. And then goes on this wild ride in which the the whole attempt of his tornado chasing group was this this, uh, scientific measuring device called they labeled Dorothy and what it's supposed to do, you're supposed to literally put it into a tornado and it'll send all these sensors out and it's supposed to measure the inside of the tornado and basically magic science stuff in which they can help predict tornadoes earlier. But that's, that's not, that's, that's important. Don't get me wrong, but it's just good. I, I, I I don't know what else to say. (laughs) It's just someone else should start because I I got you. It's just going to be me on repeat saying how much I love this shit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how's about everybody who isn't Sam? Let's go ahead and talk about our general thoughts. Uh, James, how about you start us off? Um, I, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I, I So first off, I had not seen this movie prior to uh, oh. uh, it being recommended. I, I had heard about it, and I've seen like a general synopsis. I had not seen it proper. Um, okay. I thought visually it was very, uh, like interesting. There was a lot of good uh, destruction shots, especially. It really sells home not only how dangerous what they're doing is, but also kind of how necessary it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it in some ways it actually almost felt like a PSA about like. You know, extreme weather safety and why we need to constantly be prepared for what Mother Nature can throw at us. Mm-hmm. I'm actually similar with what James was saying. How it, it is important that it does show, but I also liked some of the characters as well. And I, fi- I thought they were very well written. Like Jonas, my favorite character. <laughs> Fast me late, Jonas. Fast me late. Give me a kiss. <laughs> he's my favorite character. Mostly because he's played by Carrie Elwes, and I love Carrie Elwes. Fair enough. And if I haven't made that apparent enough because I talked about Princess Bride on the first episode. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get to that. Oh, hell yeah. Um, When it came to my stuff, I do agree. It's... uh. A very good glimpse at uh, just how fucking terrifying tornadoes can be and the destruction that they're capable of and why it is very important that uh, such measures are taken to try and 
predict tornado catastrophes. But overall, as a movie, I thought it was okay. Okay. Well. I, I, I remember seeing it previously <laughs> throughout my youth, remembering being like, oh god, this is actually kind of scary. Holy shit. Because yeah. uh, if I had to get to my first specific detail, um, CGI was implemented, which I think at the time, unless they used stock footage, which I oftentimes mean... varies in quality... Unfortunately, the tornadoes are unionized, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're kind of like they're dragons. Uh, they, they're prima donnas. They are kind of forces of nature, and they have a bit of attitude and entitlement. Mm -hmm. So They, don't, they, don't, they don't like to be filmed. No, no. So that's why they had uh, CGI uh, doubles for when they couldn't have them work. Because uh, mm -hmm. let me tell you, they are expensive to implement. And really the CG, hard to get on set. Uh, for... The year it came out, which was 1996. Oh, the year, the year the, I was born. The year what I was born. Know? Same. Coincidence or destiny? <laughs> I was one year before. Mm -hmm. uh, it holds old. up for the most part. You're getting old, James. I am. Yeah, yeah, we all no, The tornadoes looked very good. I didn't... Well, I mean, I obviously I knew they, they couldn't be real tornadoes, but... Uh, it didn't come across like I was just watching, uh, you know, like some green screen or something. It more more often than not, they did a well, good job of like making it look like they were actually about to be sucked up by this horrifying wind demon. Mm-hmm. Oh, All that right. was another little tidbit that I actually really liked. Uh, the sound design of the actual tornado was horrific <laughs> mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, amongst like the just really fierce winds that you're hearing and especially if you're listening to it on a surround sound system makes good use of those rear speakers um you hear like almost monster growls in between it all here and there whenever something's like lifted up and thrown across a field and shit like that it's <laughs> It's uh, it's terrifying when they inevitably show up, and it's it's funny because when it comes to actual word of mouth from people who witnessed tornadoes, they had said, yeah, it oftentimes sounds like a a a freight train screeching to a halt, or it sounds like it's growling. Okay, rant alert time. Uh huh. As I previously stated, I fucking love this movie. Uh -huh. I grew up with this movie, to be fair. There was there was a period in my life in which for three days I did nothing but watch Twister straight with my twin. <laughs> no, this, this seems to be your Hitchhiker's Guide. I had a very similar experience with that. So, coming back to this movie, I was afraid that, you know, I was thinking to myself, was I, was I, am I blinded by nostalgia? Will it not be as good as I remember it? And let me tell you, it was fucking better. <laughs> nice. Because, so just to get, you know, just do a little checklist. Characters play beautifully. Bill Paxton, uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, everyone did mm, not perfect in the roles. They had perfect comedic timing. They worked super well with each other. You believe that these this Twister chasing team was like a they were a unit. Like you I, actually believe they were the real team. people. The conversations yeah. were so well done. And as we were mm -hmm. saying, the CGI overall very good for its time. There was one or two bad parts. I will admit, there was like an explosion or two which I just looked at it going, ooh, you know. Uh. That looks like it just was 
taken straight out of Adobe Flash. Oh, yeah. I think the explosion with Jonas at the end, I'm sorry, that looked like Adobe Flash animation. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's this charm to this movie. There's this beautiful 90s charm. That's just, it's, it's like a crystallized version of it. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And what this movie does extremely well, it, it strikes this perfect balance between a, a, a comedic, comedic in tone because that's the character the characters they're crazy they're chasing tornadoes they can't be that sane yeah so there's a, and the actors sell it very well there's this very comedic tone that is perfectly balanced because they take these twisters seriously there's moments where they go like like, like you guys were saying it's almost like a psa like hey these things will fucking kill you these things are mm-hmm. literal acts of nature oh well, one like, of the they, scenes they, stuck sorry, out to me was the uh the drive-in scene where like I think it's the F four or whatever just rips through the uh the screen and then like everyone's holed up in the the house and like a fucking car just flies in. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think they really did their best to strike a balance. They show the destruction of these things. These things you don't they don't fuck around with. As 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 they describe the F five, it's a finger of God striking down upon the land. Um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think they did a perfect balance there. The, the the only problem I kind of have with the story it does have a little bit of a pacing issue because the beginning yeah. it's it, there's this really fast pace where it's like oh hey the main character shows up with the group try to get the uh, divorce paper signs oh shit there's a tornado tornado boom it's go time and then they chase a couple of tornadoes for a good chunk of the movie and then there's de- this downtime where they go to Aunt Meg's house they go through the drive-in mm-hmm. theaters relationships things with uh, Bill Paxton's new wife with his old wife and you know all all that all that stuff but. It's just it feels surprisingly real. Like mm-hmm. yes, there's there's an absolute ridiculous cheese. Like the fact that Bill's character is like a tornado whisperer. Like he can sense yeah. where tornado is gonna go. Yeah. Silly, yes. Bad yeah. at, yes. But it's just a it's just a beautiful little story that it doesn't take itself too seriously because you know like I said the 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 humor filled parts. Mm-hmm. It's so quotable. It's so quotable. I know damn near oh, every line in that movie. Just we're not going to raid my I mean, raid my uh, uh, Aunt Meg's house. Uh, food, 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 food. food. It's it's just and something I, I really. I'm sorry, we have to go. We have cows. Yeah, we we have cow. We gotta go, Judy. We got cows. <laughs> it's just it's perfect. Oh, it's we got food. another it, cow. Ah, uh, no, no, that's the same cow. Same cow. cow. So, like I said, strikes um, his balance between how cheesy it is versus the real life nature of tornadoes. What I what I realized on a, on another viewing later in my life is I appreciated, like you guys were saying, the the way they almost characterized these tornadoes as monsters tearing through the houses. These like roaring sounds you hear, mm-hmm. and the, just the later parts when the tornado starts literally like almost aiming things at them. It throws trucks. At the car, yeah, you know, oh, at, yeah. at the main characters' cars and whatnot, and you know, I was thinking to myself, that's a bit silly, but someone explained. I was thinking to myself, it's almost like there's the tornadoes have like a malicious intent. There's yeah. this almost theme of this tornado going, you know, specifically going after the main characters for like daring to try to study it, like trying to understand nature. Mm-hmm. And so the movie's a little bit deeper than I thought it was going to be when I thought about it like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. these lines, like the finger of God, it, these these are forces of nature that we do not know about, but they're incredibly destructive. 
So it was almost like attempting to kill the main characters for trying to, un you know, to to tap into this vein of knowledge. I don't know. It's just like I said, I could go on for hours, but I'll I'll stop myself here. It, it, to me, it's a ten out of ten. You, I yeah, I if, have to recommend this movie <laughs> by obligation. If I could, I have an interesting uh, take on this. I I don't know if you guys agree. Um. I, I almost got the idea that uh, the the main character uh, was looking at this extreme weather and this whole group that they're doing mm -hmm. as almost like a slightly unhealthy addiction. Like, he, he was this super obsessed tornado guy, but then he decided to get away from it, find someone else, and try to live a normal life. But the second he gets, like, a scent, he gets a small smell of, like... Oh, we're gonna do this. We're gonna launch Dorothy. It, it's like a heroin addict, like relapsing, mm -hmm. and he suddenly becomes a completely different person in front almost of his immediately. fiance. And I, I was almost kind of concerned. Like they were gonna plan a wedding in like a month, and suddenly he's, you know, like freaking out and like, no, we have to drive straight in the two tornado. We got to get Dorothy up, and and she's just. Like, this isn't crazy. You all are insane. What is going on? <laughs> and it's just, like, it's adrenaline. You know, like, these people are... Or, I, I'm, I, let me rephrase that. The characters, not people that actually do this, are almost, like, adrenaline junkies in that way. Mm -hmm, which, that's true. I don't I mean, know if it was intentional, but that's kind of what I was getting from it. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good point, honestly. Kind of. If I may, I, uh... I um, agree with you, Sam, on your observation with the whole tornadoes and like how it has a deeper thing to that and how mm -hmm. it feels almost like malicious and it has mm -hmm. an out for these people who even dares to step within its rather wide aspect. The um, suck zone. But I, I don't know about uh, the addiction part because the, the thing is, is that the adrenaline, yeah. Uh, you can see that with a lot of them. It's like, uh, I want to say like a side benefit, but it never struck me as the core of why they were doing it, especially not with... Um, Phil Paxton well, character? Yeah, not with him, and also not with Joe. Uh, especially not with Joe, because Joe seemed to be doing it for a really... I want to say rational reason because she lost her dad to a F5 and naturally considering how rampant tornadoes are she's out here doing a lot of this so that in the future they can prevent such a a monstrosity of nature essentially to to you know run rampant and continuously destroy the livelihood of people or destroy the people themselves you know I suppose that's fair. I, I guess, because uh, I really identified with the fiancé who was just looking at everyone like, this is you guys are crazy, you know, like, insane. And yeah. I, I, I guess I really read into the, he was about to get married. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this movie, he's just like, no, this is my life. I, I have to go back to this. And she's okay with it. But like, he was ready to, to settle down and put this all behind him until he went back into it you don't understand mm -hmm. honey i have to do this i gotta I kind of feel bad Look, for her 
So I, I'm going to take the middle stance because I think there's a kernel of truth in both of what you're saying. So I think I think it's not necessarily craziness and adrenaline junkie. I think there's a genuine sense of passion. And I think what we really get that from is the comparison of the main character's group to Jonas's group. Because Jonas is all about the money, yeah. about getting recognized for making their, you know, for, you know, measuring the tornado. And they make right. a, they really do make a point of this. Like the the you know, Bill Paxton character, he can sense the tornado because he's passionate about it. He wants to get Dorothy up in the air, he wants to create a better warning system for Dana, tornadoes. For Joe, I be, I I believe at the beginning anyway, it is a point of obsession. Because her parents died, because there was no warning, accurate warning system. She at the beginning to the end, it was more of an obsession thing because every oh, time it's a revenge story for her. Yeah, because it, it it really is. I was joking uh, near the end of the movie where the F five was showing up. Joe looking up and she's like, "That's a bastard! That's a bastard that took my father." <laughs> it's like Batman I'm looking up to Joe Frost. See that tornado? If it's the last thing I do, I'm gonna measure it and I'm gonna end its kind for killing my family line. You know? mm-hmm. But yeah, for her, it's obsession to begin with because there's multiple points where Bill Paxton's character has to pull her out of the way of a tornado, saying, "No, you're gonna kill yourself." Yeah, and it doesn't look like she cares. So there, I, I believe you're both right. It's just uh, there's there's like a there, there, it's a it's a mix of things. It's a mix of things. Like I said, mm-hmm. speaks to the writing that we can both come away from it with those kind of ideas. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I said, I'm I'm incredibly biased. I love this movie. I mean, obviously, it gets a recommendation for me, hundred percent. What about you guys? Ah, uh, well, I I mean, if I may, you may not. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> okay, continue. I'm sorry. People have other opinions, Sam. Yeah, it's okay to be wrong. <laughs> it's all right ahead, to Ian, be please. wrong in the end, but you know, as long as we all agree to that. No. Um I have a couple bits of like I wouldn't say contention because again. I thought this movie overall was okay because there was never something that made me angry because of how thoughtless it was. But at the same Mm -hmm. time, uh, outside of a couple of ideas or thematic stuff, like uh, what you were just talking about, Sam, I didn't actually think about that until you brought it up. And thinking about it, yeah, I guess that's a deeper sort of appreciation for some of the stuff that happens in it my my thing is though is that it's just this is the kind of movie where it does enough to where i'm like yeah it's yeah all right uh and mainly that comes from the fact that i thought that there was a bit of lost potential with uh joe's team uh all the storm chasers because while yes i very much agree Everyone on that team, and practically most of the cast, really, they have uh, fantastic performances. All of them seem like they're giving it their 110%. I didn't think all of them really had much to separate themselves, aside from uh, an archetype, if you will. You know, I mean, yes, they, they, they all they all get together uh, and, and get along really well, except for when they don't. <laughs> and it does feel like, yeah, there's a family. It's just not a fully realized family to me because 
to me, it only felt like there were maybe three characters, that being Bill, Joe, and uh, Melissa, um, Bill's uh, fiance. that, uh, sadly, <laughs> they basically split up by the end of the movie. Yeah, um, I think they do it in a very professional way, in a very adult way. Yeah, they, yeah, they, none of they them do. are like angry. They do. They're just like, oh, this is actually your life. I don't want to keep you from it. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, she is a relationship therapist. Yeah. Mm hmm. No, she uh, didn't marry you. But for your that penis. does bring up one thing. Uh, from the very start of the movie, even before, like, Bill gets really, really involved with the Storm Chasers, I was sitting there for most of the movie going. I don't get how they were even a thing to begin with. She's written so... I want to say stupid. Like, some of the conversations she has, uh, some of it just honestly feels like... Sure, she's not all that knowledgeable of chasing twisters, or even twisters in general, what goes into measuring them. But some of the stuff that is fed to her in terms of information, I feel most people could at least slightly pick up on you know and i felt that she was written in such a way that it almost felt a little contrived where it's just like oh yeah they're they're not gonna be a thing by the end of this i i get it there there was a point where i was watching this where i was considering like you could really just make this about uh bill and joe contemplating getting a divorce and not have the fiance at all and they kind of have her in there just so that you can give exposition for like from what i understand at least relatively accurate information about like extreme weather that mm -hmm. is relevant to the movie but well, I th right i don't I know think the th thing about it is is right from the get-go you can tell that joe does not want to sign this divorce papers she actively yeah. oh yeah absolutely. That's, that's her character i mean she she loves she still loves bill it's bill who wants to mm -hmm. move on but realizes later on in the movie that he he doesn't really actually want to move on and there could have been there could have been more done with the other team members for sure but for i mean i mean it's the 90s we didn't have the benefit of a, a twister cinematic universe like mcu has where nah, you get a movie so for character you know really about them like so, you say they kind of do their purpose and that's it but that's kind of all they need to do to move the plot along and they still have a lot more characterization than a lot of side characters in other movies ah uh, that's true that. I'll, like I'll, rabbit uh, doesn't need to do anything other than that if if you were to compare this film to a good majority of roland emmerich movies which when i was going into this i thought this was a roland emmerich movie because of how it was set up but I was surprised mm. that it was actually done by a mad lad named uh, Jean de Bont. I probably mm -hmm. butchered that, but that is the actual name of the director. Um, if you compare it, yeah, there, there, it certainly does a little bit more than some of the other stuff coming out at the time. It's just what keeps me from thinking, oh yeah, this is good overall, is that I just kept seeing a couple of contrivances in the script here and there and if i may because i feel like this particular aspect has been uh kind of picked at over the years and this does kind of go into a question i'll ask you guys later on 
Because okay. uh, I was thinking about this when I was watching the movie, even though I don't think I was doing too much of what we were going to talk about eventually. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Bill and Joe should be dead by the end. I mean, okay, let's be real here. There's a point where they're in an F5 tornado, grabbing onto mm -hmm. a metal bar, and yeah. it assumes they live. Uh, yeah, it's complete and utter bullshit, but fuck it, dude. I'm willing to suspend my, uh, oh, what's, what's it called? Suspension of disbelief. disbelief. Because just how much I love the movie. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's absolute silly, but that, honestly, when they enter that tornado, it's a beautiful little thing, because it's like another world. You know, I mean, no one can, and that's the thing about movies, like, you, like, who's going, no one can go into the middle of a tornado, but in a movie, you can, so why not oh, have some, yeah. you know, have it, some It makes for it, a know? very cinematic sequence and stuff like that. I mean, these two characters that live and breathe chasing tornadoes, they're literally in the middle of it. I mean, yeah, uh, cinematically, that makes for, you know, a pretty exhilarating sequence and kind of big for them to be able to say yeah we were in the center of a tornado here's the problem that i have uh sam one of the things that you had mentioned before was that the tornadoes mm -hmm. especially the f5 one almost mm -hmm. are malicious in the fact that mm -hmm. they almost have a mind of their own and they are targeting the storm chasers sometimes with how they have like trucks trees power lines mm -hmm. thrown at them oh, yeah. they drive the through a fucking thrown house Oh, yeah, Absolutely. debris is constantly being thrown all over the place, and even the most, like, small, in comparison, sort of objects that are being flung at, like, barns, roads, and stuff like that, depending on their velocity, which is usually pretty fucking high, that's a lot of damage, as mm -hmm. Phil Swift would say. And what I found so strange is that debris, even on the outmost part of the tornado can fatally kill you like it did oh, yeah. uh two poor lads in the very end so yeah. how they are literally in the center of a tornado where there is still debris being swirled around in the air at speeds that i i honestly think fucking tom cruise would be sweating at if he saw it on a speedometer how is it that they aren't being hit and sure you could say oh it's the center but i mean that's that's kind of the center of the storm, if you will. That's that's where a lot of yeah. it's being like clumped into, if you will. Ian, in that lovely little indie movie called Star Wars, where they're uh -huh. being chased down a hallway by fifty extremely trained soldiers, and not one of them hit, and not one of them managed to shoot the main character. How is that possible? <laughs> I would, uh, and that's a good question and this is actually and, what I was thinking about when I was watching the film that we'll discuss once we wrap up our thoughts on Twister um, mm -hmm. that I feel is something that should kind of be thought about when people watch uh, certain films and whatnot mm -hmm. and how the end result of it depends on the experience of it all but uh, Twister. Overall, I mean, despite its contrivances, at least to me, again, it was never something that I was angry at, you know? It's not like some of the stuff that comes out nowadays where it is asking a lot of you to not be like, okay, hang on, I'm, I'm just gonna call bullshit for this 
<laughs> moment. In fact, this series of moments. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think this is a bad movie. Uh, compared to some of the other disaster films that were coming out at the time, especially from Roland Emmerich, <laughs> hmm. uh, pretty solid overall. Uh, performances, they're charismatic. And again, even though I wish, you know, more of the members, even if they were small, had moments of more uh, distinct... Uh, well, I wouldn't say distinct personalities, distinct moments that kind of add a little more to them as humans and not just uh, archetype characters, you know? Mm. Um, it's still solid overall. I, I just think it's okay, you know? And with that ending moment in particular, I think many people will have differing opinions on it of whether they take issue with it or if... They're just like, ah, whatever. I'm fucking enjoying the ride, you know? I, get I know you. some people had similar thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy because of some of the stuff that happened in it, but there were also quite a few people that just didn't even think of it because it's fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Mm-hmm. No, I, I do agree. There's a few things that it could do a bit better. Um, there, Like Sam said earlier, there's a bit of pacing problems. The antagonist just kind of disappears in the middle of the movie for a while. Mm -hmm. And that might have helped uh, him, really. flesh out some of the... Fair. Like, if it was a constant race, that might have given the, the team more to do. But uh, overall, I think it, it's pretty fun. Yeah. I'd say well, if you are in the mood for some nostalgic 90s material, uh, Twister's up there. Uh, especially if you want to get it on Blu-ray, because I did, uh, check out what the Video Masters on Blu-ray releases look like, and thankfully, it is not a victim of, uh, modern-day movie revisionism. It still looks just like a 90s film, and that's how I prefer it. Right on. All right, what about you, Scotty boy? Um... I would recommend it uh, solely based off the idea that they are spreading awareness of the um, dangers of how terrible these tornadoes are, and mostly for Jonas. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I could add one last thing, uh, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I am glad with how they did portray the storm chasers as a family and like a absolute unit because mm -hmm. uh most people with real world science trying to deal with you know the many many unexplainable things of the earth and its elements uh there are quite a few times where groups like that can be eccentric they can be passionate they can be charismatic because sometimes that's what you need to get through it all and perhaps mm -hmm. maybe it's not always to that level, but for a movie trying to, uh, you know, capture what it takes to go into studying tornadoes, it's effective for what it's trying to mm. do. There we go. I, I think that's, uh, it sounds like a recommendation from everyone. Oh, yeah, I'd still recommend it. I, I think it's okay. It's got its issues and it's definitely of its time with how disaster films were 
for a while dominating the big screen uh, back then, but, you know, it's always nice to go back to it because it also doesn't feel too dated. Again, the CG holds up well, and there's nothing about the story that feels too much of its time. Mm-hmm. Which is always good. All righty. Now, that does bring on a wee little question, keeping in the theme of how we've essentially kind of brought about a discussion-warranting, you know, conversation piece. Uh, That being kind of in line with what I was kind of debating, not only while I was watching the movie, but also after. Uh, In your guys' opinion... When do you think negative criticism becomes nitpicking? And if it is nitpicking, when is it justified? Um, so there's a few things that can be objectively uh, judged, right? Like mm-hmm. they're the the way that a a film is shot, the uh, the color grading and all that. Um, where, where this really comes down to, I believe, is, at least for me personally, the performance and, uh, certain ways the script is written, mm-hmm. um, are, are points of contention that can often devolve into nitpicking. I think, um, you, you can argue, um, something is done right or wrong, based on how well it serves the uh the narrative as a whole why did we need uh i'm trying to remember. what's the what's the guy from back to the future the the dude who invents the time machine doc brown oh doc brown yeah yeah like why did we need the the plot with the uh the terrorists like what does that add to anything but like <laughs> that's overall true. that's the you know if that's not there half the plot doesn't happen yeah. Like, you can nitpick, like, oh, where did this come from? It's kind of out of left field. But if it serves to move the plot forward, it's still serving a purpose. And I think yeah. a lot of people get hung up on the small details of certain things. Like, this character mm-hmm. did not act perfectly in this exact instance, and I believe that's unrealistic. And yeah. that's a nitpick. I always um, base nitpicking off of, like, people's personal opinions because like not everyone has the same mindset not everyone has the same opinions um not everyone will like the same type of movies as you and they will have their thoughts so it's always just based off what they think it's never gonna match up to your expectations Mm -hmm. yeah you guys put it pretty darn well there honestly i don't know how much i can actually add to that you know well, if I could kind of go back to the the whole Back to the Future example James had, there are two things that can really play into, um, you know, where thoughts like that of, oh, well, that doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, it goes into two things, really. If it is, in fact, serving a purpose, how justifiable or believable is it? Like, for example, uh, Doc Brown literally made a time machine it'd be hard for me to uh disbelieve that if someone made a time machine and the wrong kind of people found out about it 
I would imagine that they'd be like, hey, gimme, gimme the time machine or else uh, right. bad things will happen. I can believe that happening, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's dropped after a while, but at the same time, you know, it does play into the movie later where uh, Marty also knows that when he goes back to the future, Doc is going to be dead, you know? So he also tries playing that into uh, before he goes back, and now he tries to warn Doc, but Doc is like, no, 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 don't say anything. You'll change the future. I, I'll admit, I pulled that out of uh, out of nowhere. I didn't know if that was actually a good uh, No, example, honestly, you know it is. I mean? And, you know, Sam, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, how, um, you know, uh, the main characters in Star Wars, they, they've infiltrated the uh, Death Star. Uh, I, of course, use infiltrated loosely because they were kind of yoinked into it. Mm -hmm. um, how all these, uh, quote-unquote, highly trained soldiers uh, serving the Empire are chasing them down a hallway that has very little cover and how they aren't able to hit them. I can definitely see where someone could be like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call bullshit. That that just seems like really thinly veiled plot armor. And by all intents and purposes, yeah. Uh I'm not gonna lie, it is. I realize yeah, I mean, that. It, it, it's really just so the movie can happen, you know? I mean that's I think that's gonna oh, be yeah. a lot of movies. I was mentioning earlier that uh a similar thing could be said with Guardians of the Galaxy, like, oh, how is it that, you know, uh, all this stuff happens, but this, that, this, and this? It's fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm sorry. Uh, unless you have a hate boner for superhero films, or you're not one for comedic films, you're more than likely going to enjoy the ride with it, and enjoy it I did. And so when I initially saw all those things, they didn't necessarily bother me because I was having way too much fun. And so when you have a film that doesn't quite grab your attention uh, like that film does, or in my own personal opinion, how Star Wars did and still does to this day, um, you know, I think uh, the mind kind of wanders onto the more negative aspects. They become more apparent because the things that should be captivating you, they just aren't. And what I was realizing in Twister is that some of the things I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't know. This isn't just, this just isn't quite grabbing me. I mean, the tornado sequences are, you know, well paced. They're well shot. Uh, they're all memorable sequences and actually have some tension to them because it does feel like at any point those characters easily could die. But when it ain't that, and it's mainly all the stuff that happens on the side of chasing the storms i don't know i i just kind of latched on to some of the negative stuff i wasn't constantly pointing it out the only one that i actually was like okay hang on a second wait a minute was where they were in the center of the f5 uh because the whole well not the whole film but the second half of the film shit's hitting the fan debris being chucked everywhere and so when i see that and they don't have a single scratch on them you know my suspension of disbelief is is a little paper thin by that point i believe too um it should be worth noting most people that are are nitpicking a movie 
or a plot or something mm-hmm. are already looking for things to hate. Yeah, that's that, that's the, the difference. Other They're part. coming into it with a mindset of I don't want to like this, so I'm going to find even the smallest things I don't like, and that will be my argument for why it's bad. Yeah. I mean, I, I've held I'm not saying that's what you're people. doing, but I'm saying that's usually where it stems from. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You have some people that go into the movie that just want to not like the movie or perhaps downright hate it, and so they don't give it anything. <laughs> They're like, no, I didn't like anything. It was all stupid. Why is he doing this and why is he doing that? When if said viewer pays attention to the details... Uh, all of those questions would easily be answered. And I don't know. Uh, it's been something that's come up several times in certain films, especially ones that are highly regarded and considered like classics. Naturally, a lot of people are like, oh, hey, you got to go and see 2001 A Space Odyssey. And you have like these people who are more used to more modern films and just the idea of watching such an old uh, classic like that, they just immediately shut their brains off. Well, they don't shut it off, but they don't really give it an inch, you know? Yeah. And it's tricky combating that sometimes. It's also worth mentioning that uh, sometimes the inverse can be a thing. Uh, sometimes people, when a actually, you know, justifiable complaint is brought up regarding a film or just any story for that matter uh people who are really attached to that thing uh they can use that that you know oh you're just being nitpicky card as a means of just discrediting what they have to say which i don't see it as often but it finds its way to creep up sometimes depending on how uh opinionated one can be and depending on how they do it, it can also just be very annoying. And you get to a point where it's just like, okay, uh, this conversation's just over. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna humor it anymore. <laughs> Especially sure. if we're talking online criticism. Dear God. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think we've made a bunch of good points on that. On. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to nitpicking and whatnot. And the important thing is just to be fair when you're Mm -hmm. actually looking at it. And sometimes people have varying different things of fairness and what's objectively good or bad. Because that's the other thing. Um, You have to have, like, really extreme... Uh, good or bad films to say this is an objectively bad film because film as an art and just art in general is highly subjective you know Mm -hmm. absolutely I mean that's well you know that's why anyone can have any opinion about anything right the important thing to remember is that you know when someone says yeah I didn't really like it um don't be a baby and take it as like a a personal thing you know just acknowledge okay well i mean he doesn't like it but if you can also smell bullshit 10 miles away and realize that their reasoning isn't 
well thought out, then by all means be like, okay, well, now you're just being a nitpicky little shit. Mm-hmm. It's a give you and know. take thing. Mm-hmm. Well, anywho, I thought that was a rather insightful moment that we had there. Really went Indeed. to the eye of the storm on that one. Oh, but of course. Uh, really blew, so, blew them all down. Mm-hmm. Wind uh, jokes. So, before we uh, part ways and let all you get back to your uh, productive lives. time, <laughs> but of course, uh, I figured I would uh, share my recommended film for next week's episode, but also give people the rundown on our uh, next mega session, which may or may not show our Snyder Cut episode right up. Oh, dear. Uh, my recommended film, it's, uh, it's a little different compared to what we've had on here, but I figured it is good to branch out, try something different, and something a little more, I guess, grounded. Uh, this is, of course, the uh, 90s dramatic classic, in my opinion anyway, could be different, because uh, once again, as we've discussed, opinions can drastically vary. Uh, this is the film titled A River Runs Through It, based on the autobiography of the same name. Uh, and it's got good old Brad Pitt in it. Back in his early days when, uh, I don't know, it seemed like he was doing more, not risky films, but more like uh, it's got something to it kind of movies. Artsy. Yeah. Um, And for the material for the mega session, uh, Mm -hmm. we are going to be looking at a unofficial trilogy of sorts but one that i feel like is worth at least talking about in some capacity because it's a set of three films that are tied together by one thing and it's that they aren't just superhero films they're not just 90s superhero films they are 90s superhero films that are based on superhero properties from the golden age of comics. Oh boy. Uh, that being the uh, what people have labeled it as the Pulp Superhero Trilogy, or just the Pulp Trilogy. Uh, you gotta throw in the superhero part because oftentimes they think, oh, Pulp Fiction had sequels? Right. So naturally, you know, gotta differentiate that. You know, it goes Pulp Fiction, Stranger Than Fiction, uh... Upon Stranger Tides. Stranger Things. (laughs) Stranger Things. That one's a long one. It's got a couple seasons to it. Yeah, that's a long one. And it's still going, apparently, whenever COVID... I don't know why it keeps going. I thought it uh, ended. (laughs) Yeah, I figured, too. I don't know where Samuel Jackson is. I wonder if he's going to come back. I think he will eventually. Yeah. With an eye patch. He'll be a pirate. Uh, No, but the three films in this trilogy include The Shadow... The Phantom and The Rocketeer. All three, I believe, from different studios. And each one does something in particular that is better than the others. 
and we'll go ahead and see which one reigns supreme in comparison amongst the three. Uh, but until then, we hope that you tune in next time. Take care, everybody. Godspeed. Bye. Bye-bye.